Hi, my name is Nick Craig. This is a Leading from Purpose podcast. I am so excited today. Jeff McDonald's with me. Jeff and I have known each other for almost probably 10 years now, right, Jeff? And now, Jeff, when I met Jeff, and most of the time I was hanging out with Jeff, he was a senior vice president of HR at Unilever. But at some point, he made the decision that with this beautiful job that he needed to leave it because something was more important. And that thing that was more important to him, which we had played and discovered in some of our journeys as well together, was about dealing with mental health in the business world. And this is what he is as a consultant now. This is what he consults to companies about. And obviously, within the context of COVID and everything else, this becomes an even more important topic. So, Jeff, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Nick, thank you so much for having me. And I think it, I think it was actually, it probably tells our age, but it was probably a bit more than 10 years ago that we were together in Four Acres in, uh, in London, where you opened my eyes to the importance of a sense of purpose, particularly at an individual level. Well, good. Well, I'd love for everyone to hear, what is your purpose? Nick, it's very simple. My purpose is to create workplaces all over the world where people in those workplaces feel that they genuinely, genuinely have the choice to just put their hand up and to ask for some help if they are suffering from a common form of mental ill health. And that's not a very lofty or noble purpose. I can tell you why. Because in most workplaces all over the world, if you've got a physical illness, you'll put your hand up and ask for help. But there are billions of people in workplaces today who feel ashamed, who feel embarrassed, to just put their hand up and ask for some help if they're struggling with a common form of mental ill health. And I want to eradicate that sense of shame and that sense of embarrassment and try and empower people to feel it's actually okay to just ask for some help. As a purpose, you know, having listened to many people's purposes, they're all very unique. What, what is it that has that purpose be the one that speaks through you so loudly? i tell you what it is, Nick. It's two things. The one is my own lived experience with anxiety-fueled depression back in 2008 and my ability to ask for help, which saved my life. Because I can tell you, every single person who knew about my illness, do you know what I got back from them in return in my darkest, darkest moments was feeling loved. Think about the power of love. Just knowing that I was loved in my darkest moments is what kept me going. And the only reason I was able to feel that sense of love is because I wasn't burdened by the stigma that was associated with my illness. And then in 2012, I lost a very, very good friend to suicide. He was an alpha male macho Afrikaner South African. There is no way he could talk about his mental ill health struggle. And instead, he died by suicide. And you know, Nick, the night he died, I lay in bed and I thought to myself, what's the difference between him and me? At a very simple, simple level, I came to a simple conclusion. I'd been able to ask for some help. He hadn't been able to ask for some help. He hadn't been able to ask for help because he felt ashamed and he was burdened by the stigma. And I thought, that is not fair. That's not fair. That's not fair. I want us to be, I want people to be able to, to experience what I experienced 
by being able to ask for help. And I'm not saying to you that had he been able to talk, he would definitely be alive today. But there's a tiny, tiny chance that he just might be alive if he'd been able to have that one conversation that might have just put him on a different path, a path to recovery. And I lay there and I thought, stigma has just killed my friend. I want to do something about that. I want to do something about that. I recollect, my understanding is, is that especially from listening to your accent, you are South African, is that correct? I'm a South African through and through, though I live in the UK now and I've been here for a long, long time, but I have not lost my South African accent. <laughs> you know, you haven't lost that part of you, yes? And if you think about your the growing up journey that you went through, my sense is if I look at your age, you actually lived through apartheid, is that correct? I lived through apartheid, yes. And so you saw a lot of things. As you were growing up, what was your relationship to this issue growing up? I had no relationship to mental mm-hmm. health or mental ill health growing up. The onset of my anxiety fueled depression, the onset, the last straw to break the camel's back, was waking up one night, midnight, with a panic attack. Now, I mean, I had never experienced a panic attack. Panic attack was not part of my vocabulary. And this is 2008 now, right? So so that means I'm sort of 48, 50 years of age or whatever that was. I was born in 62, to give you a sense. So 2008, I have this panic attack. I've never had a conversation with anybody about a panic attack ever. It's never been part of my vocabulary. So I think I'm having a heart attack. And I, I thought this was a heart attack. I was about to have a heart attack. I go to the doctor. I get diagnosed with anxiety, fuel, depression. He says, do you want some medication? I say, yes, please. Because I thought in 48 hours or 72 hours, I'll yeah. start feeling better. Well, guess what? <laughs> You know, six weeks, seven weeks, I'm still not feeling better because I'm so naive. I have no relationship. I've never had a relationship uh, or any exposure to mental ill health up until my real crucible moment in life. And so as you're in that, having those panic attacks and the medication isn't doing anything, and nobody educated you and said, well, how did you go from that to the person I'm interacting with now? Do you know what I'm saying? This is a big shift from that place. Yeah, I think there were I think there were a couple of things. I mean, the first one, you know, as I said to you, what what got me through that very difficult period? I had to take three months off work back in 2008. I mean, there's no ways I can go to work. And I think there was yes, of course, there was some medication. Yes, of course, there was cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, but more importantly, that sense of feeling loved. And I'll tell you the other thing, Nick. A sense of hope. So I'm. I used to meet with an an ex colleague, friend of mine, right, who two years prior to my illness had been so ill that he'd been admitted to the hospital for his depression. And I used to meet with Martin every ten days. And you know what? I I saw he was better. Do you know what he gave me? He gave me hope. Deep as he gave me hope. Wow. And so a combination of feeling love. And that sense of hope, that little bit of life at the end of the tunnel helps me to get through and I go back into Unilever and life goes on. You know, 2008, 2010, I have a bit of a relapse. But then it's in it's that October of 2012. It's that, it's that moment that I lose my friend, which then catalyzes me into saying, look, I've got to try and do something about this. Uh, I start to do some work with Tim Munden in Unilever. 
for about a year and a half where we start to begin to address the stigma. We pilot stuff in the UK. And then at the end of 2014, I decide to leave and take those learnings from Unilever, the learnings together with Tim, and say to myself, you know what? I'm going to take those to the world. I'm going to help other organizations because I think some of the stuff that Tim and I did, you know, we saw some real success in people starting to put their hands up, asking for help. And I thought, you know what? I've learned something here. Now I'm going to take some of that to the world. So 2014, my journey begins. And if we go back and just think about, so what was it like for you to be taken care of or for Unilever to have the wisdom to support you in the way that it seemed to have? Because I would say back then that was not the normal response by a large multinational. You know, Nick, I often say I was really lucky. I was lucky at three levels. The first level that I was lucky at was Jeff McDonald wears his heart on his sleeve. So it's actually quite difficult for Jeff McDonald to mask anything. (laughs) You look at him in the eye and you'll see there's a problem. So I'm lucky from that point of view. So you weren't able to wear the stone face, the mask? No, no. Not in in your cars, okay. Just not in my, in in who I am. Second thing, Nick, the other thing that I'm lucky about is at the time when it happened, I had 20 years working for Unity. I'd built some credibility over a 20-year period. I was doing a senior HR job. I mean, I wasn't chasing the next job and worried about what people were going to think about me and I wouldn't be able to do the next job. So I'm really lucky from that point of view. The third reason I'm really lucky is that I'm working for a guy called Keith Wee at the time who has a compassionate and an understanding relationship to mental ill health because he'd been touched by it through a friend, through a very good friend who we all knew in Unilever, who we lost. And and so I had this boss together with John Nolan at the time. Both of them had a compassionate and empathetic understanding. And then on top of that, yes, I worked for a Unilever, a company that cared, you know, that had the right kind of ethos, uh, that had an amazing chief medical officer at the time. So I was lucky at a number of levels, Nick. Interesting. And at the height of your career, you chose to leave to fulfill your purpose. Interesting. He used to be senior VP of HR for Unilever, and now he's on his own journey of helping companies look at how to deal with this issue. So, Jeff, here we are. It's 2020. You've been doing this work for about six or seven years on your own. I would think that having worked with a number of companies, you have some insights and some wisdom for some of us around what do we do with this? You know, we look at the world around us. We look at the craziness that we now find ourselves in. And uh, it's a lot tougher than it used to be. Yeah, Nick, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've learned so much. You know, Nick, I think it was you who, who once said this to me. Having a sense of purpose will take you to people and to places you could never, ever imagine. Okay. Sure. Now, over the, last, um, over the last seven years, wow, has that borne fruit? Has that been true for me? You know, I have worked in sectors. I have worked in parts of the world. I have met people I could never, ever have imagined. And as I've journeyed this path, there have been some insights along the path. And it's those insights 
and those learnings and lessons mm. that I try and bring to, to organizations. I think the first one, Nick, um, and this is at, an, at the individual level, probably the biggest insight in my journey is, you know, I am somebody who is susceptible to anxiety, fuel, depression. And what I have learned since my crucible moment in life is that the most important priority in my life is my health. I have to practice certain rituals every single day to maintain my recovery as somebody who is susceptible. And during this time, this COVID time, with all these unprecedented challenges, with the different burdens on leaders today that they've never had to deal with before, prioritizing your health must be the most important priority. Must be. It must be. None of us can pour from an empty glass. None of us can lead with the energy, the compassion, the understanding, the empathy that we need yep. if we are not looking after our health. And so one of the things, putting that oxygen mask on myself before I put it on my daughter, it's been the biggest insight. And so part of what I'm trying to encourage individuals to be doing during this period, in particular, is please just take 60 minutes every day and dedicate it to yourself. And what do I mean by dedicate it to yourself? I've got a lovely little acronym that I want to share with you, Nick. Right. I dedicate 60 minutes or 90 minutes every single day to this acronym. And the acronym is CANDO, C-A-N-D-O. And the C... I probably dedicate 15 minutes every day to the sea, and it's called connect. During this time where our connections have been disrupted, our social connections have been disrupted, I will take 10 to 15 minutes every single day to just connect. Connect with a friend. Connect with a member of the family. Maybe connect with my local community. Connect with nature. Go and stand outside for a while and just feel nature around me. So that's the C. The A stands for be active. I will dedicate 30 minutes every day to go and be active, whether that's a walk around the block, a run, jump on my mountain bike, but I will dedicate 30 minutes every single day to do some form of activity. The N, you're going to love this, Nick. Just try and be nice to somebody every single day. Try and have that sense of purpose, that sense of giving. Yeah, Just being nice to somebody. Giving to somebody else, that sense of purpose, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, just giving, being nice. The D stands for discover, learn something new, be curious, put a podcast on, listen to Nick Craig's latest podcast on purpose-led leadership or whatever, but be curious. It's so good for our mental health, being curious, learning something new. And the O in can do, Nick, stands for observe. I will dedicate five minutes every two hours to just have an observation break, to just sit and observe, be completely in the present. Maybe put a bit of music on and listen to it for five minutes, but just observe. So my first insight, and my biggest insight for people out there, for leaders out there that are struggling during this period, where is your health in your list of priorities? And my plea to you 
is to make it number one and maybe try and find those 60 minutes. And if you can't find 60, find 30. Do you know, Nick, there are 1,440 minutes in every day. 1,440. Don't tell me you can't find 15, 30, 45 just to yourself and apply can do. I love it. I, that's, I am so excited about this. Thank you, Nick. And then I think at an organizational level, you know, what am I learning around? I mean, the most important thing that I think we have to do at an organizational level is how do we normalize the conversation around mental ill health? How do we, how do we, how do we create a psychologically safe workplace? Mm. How do we create a workplace where, you know, we always used to say in HR, bring your whole self to work. Well, until you do. <laughs> until you do. Um, and so what could we be doing at an organizational level to normalize this stuff? And I think in many ways, COVID-19 has democratized mental ill health. Mm-hmm. It's democrat. It's done more. It's done more for addressing the stigma of mental ill health than I have in six or seven years. Because there are very few people out there who are not having days where they are not feeling mentally sound. They're more stressed than normal. They're a bit more anxious. And so, in many ways, this conversation has been democratized. And I think what organisations need to now do there's this tiny window of opportunity to actually begin to normalise this conversation through. Education, education, education. Training, training, training. Bringing this conversation into the, into the, getting everybody in an organization, just lift their levels of understanding and awareness around this particular issue. So that's the first thing. The second thing, which I think is so, so important, is how can we encourage, create safe places where people can share their story? You know, Nick, in my experience, working for Unilever, one of the most powerful drivers or levers in breaking and normalizing this conversation was when senior or influential people in the organization started sharing some of their stories. You know, and you'll remember Dave Blanchard. I mean, I'll never remember, I'll never forget Dave coming in one day and writing a blog to his 3,000 scientists around the world. What is it like to be the father of a daughter who suffers from general anxiety disorder? You know, guess what? Every scientist felt that they had a boss who had an empathetic, compassionate understanding to this particular issue. Yes, he got his daughter's permission first to be able to write that blog, because we live in a world of stigma. But I think, I think more and more at an organizational level, if we can just educate, teach, raise awareness and understanding. And if we can encourage people to share some stories, we begin to normalize the conversation around mental ill health. And then finally, finally, I think for us to use this opportunity at an organizational level now, to see the health of people, not just their mental health, their physical health, their emotional health, their mental health, and their sense of purpose and meaning. Yeah. And that's what I mean by their health. That, all of those components, why don't we use this opportunity to see the health of our people as a strategic priority? Because you know what, Nick? When people aren't healthy, they can't perform. 
And every strategic priority out there is about enabling the performance of an organization. So why is health not a strategic priority? It's the most important driver of my individual, team, and organizational performance. And so imagine if we could elevate it to becoming a strategic priority, just like we've done with safety. You know, we spend billions in health and safety. Well, guess what? It goes to safety. We keep everybody safe at work physically. What about my emotional safety and my mental safety when I walk in the door? Are you telling me that I leave my emotions and my cognitive ability at the door when I walk in? And so how do we elevate the importance of health to be a strategic priority at an organizational level where organizations create workplaces which enhance the lives of people, where they feel energized, flourish, and therefore perform and produce like you can't believe. Most workplaces I go into today, people's lives are diminished by working. They diminish. Read Jeffrey Pfeffer. He's probably a mate of yours, Professor Pfeffer from, you know, from Stanford, dying for the paycheck, dying for the paycheck. I mean, I, I mean, I, you know, you know, my sense is that, look, I believe we could all hide from most of this prior to COVID and all the lockdowns. And actually, even after the first lockdown, we could hide from it. Because the first lockdown was kind of sexy, which was, this was new, this is different, we've never been through this. And, you know, let's just toughen up. And you just put the armor on, you put, you just make the Kevlar vest a little tighter. You know, you carry your water bottle, and you just power through. Right. And now that we're sitting in the second and third round of this, I don't think anybody's powering through anything. And so I really think that in the leaders that I've seen is everybody's realizing the benefit of this time is that we have is people are being more human and companies are now doing the things that they haven't done for years and years and years because there is no alternative. So I really believe that for everyone um, I'm sitting here in the States and we could argue Biden has won the election. And in some ways with um, 145 million people voting, 75 voted for Biden and 70 million voted for Trump. So in some ways, no matter who won, half the nation is truly, truly sad. And in some ways, how do we deal with all this? And I definitely think that what you're talking about is about how do we take care of ourselves? I mean, in the work I've been doing, what I'm really clear about is that most everybody's good at applying their purpose to everybody else but themselves. But until you apply it to yourself, you really aren't living your purpose. And the question becomes, is that gift that you give to others, that unique thing that you do that everybody else lights up whenever you do it, what would it look like to be the recipient of that is, I think, what your your can-do motto is really about. And for me, one of them that I have done, which I did last night as well, is I live in a place where there's not too many lights, but I can see in my backyard all the stars. And I've found myself when I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm, um, I'm not having an anxiety attack, but I'm definitely having thoughts about a lot of things that could or couldn't happen. And instead of sitting and thinking and couldn't, couldn't and couldn't happening, I go and I stand outside, no matter what, how cold it is, put some clothes on. And I stand for about 10 or 15 minutes and I just literally look at the stars. And I realize that they are perfect. They are beautiful. They are created by the same being that created us. And so 
and it sets context for me. So anyway, that's one of my little things that I do. Can I, can I just read something to you, Nick? It's sure. just, it's so simple. I mean, it's so weird that you've just said that. Let me just read this to you from Maria Sabina, a Mexican healer and poet. Heal yourself with the light of the sun and the rays of the moon, with the sound of the river and the waterfall, with the swaying of the sea and the fluttering of the birds. Heal yourself with mint, neem, eucalyptus, sweeten with lavender, rosemary, and chamomile. Hug yourself with cocoa bean and a hint of cinnamon. Put love in tea instead of sugar and drink it looking at the stars. Heal yourself with the kisses that the wind gives you and the hugs of the rain. Stand strong with your bare feet on the ground and with everything that comes from it. Be smarter every day by listening to your intuition, looking at the world with your forehead. Jump, dance, sing so that you live happier. Heal yourself with beautiful love and always remember you are the medicine. Well, Jeff, I believe that's the most beautifully poignant way to bring our conversation to a close. I want to thank you so much for the opportunity to have this dialogue together and looking forward to future conversations as we go on the journey of both of us living our purpose. Thank you, Nick.